The Talk of the Street is brought to you by Donahue Solicitors, an award-winning firm of expert compensation claims lawyers. Donahue Solicitors represents claimants throughout England and Wales in their civil actions against the police, data breach, personal injury, and professional negligence claims. To start your compensation claim, go to www.donahue-solicitors.co.uk or call 08000-124-246 today. If I had to pick who I wanted to be in a multi-story grave with, you know, like forever... I'd not pick my family. I thought I would have, but I wouldn't. Not now I know they're all liars. You know that this is grief talking, don't you? No, no. This is the truth. No wonder you don't recognise it. Don't come anywhere near me. I am doing fine without you. Hello and welcome to episode 66 of the Talk of the Street, an unofficial Coronation Street catch-up podcast that promises not to batter anyone round about the head with a heavily handed symbolic floral arrangement. I'm Gavin. And the kids are back. Yay. Oh, shut up. Summer's dead. <laughs> Summer is dead to Summer me. Summer is officially over. School starts on Monday, which means I'll have to get up at like 5.30, 6 o'clock in the morning. Yeah. Which I've been doing for the last six months. <laughs> yes, because you are a wonderful husband mm. and a delight. And I, I don't know what I'd do without fucking you. Fucking delightful. You are fucking delightful. <laughs> <laughs> now, your mother arrived at two o'clock on Friday morning. Two thirty. Was it two thirty? Yes, I should know. I was the one. <laughs> After driving for four, was it fourteen hours? Or I think she was later than that because construction and weather. Uh, yeah. In the middle of Pennsylvania, which sounds yeah. like fun. Yeah. I phoned her and it was Benny that answered and offered to put her up in a hotel somewhere. Because she was kind of halfway here. Right. And it's a much easier trip if you break it up. And he, and didn't he said, even... he said, no, we're going to just continue. And he didn't, didn't even, even ask, ask her. <laughs> well done, Because Benny. that would have been, it would have been nice if they had stopped. Because that would have meant that I wouldn't have had to stay up until 2.30 watching Mindhunter waiting for right. them to show up. How was it? Oh, the, the, so far the second season's pretty great. I can't remember if I watched the first season all the way through. I watched some of it. It was pretty good. Yeah, slow start, but once once they started to actually put the serial killers in, that show got great. Right. You know. Did I see that? I can't remember if I saw that. I'm sure you did. Kempler, the, the co-ed killer, the really big guy. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. 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 It's just kind of weird to me to see... Uh, to to hear Christoph's voice coming out of this FBI agent, I'm lost. Yeah, because the the guy, the the main character, the main actor in Mindhunter is the guy who played the voice of Christoph in Frozen. He ah, also, I'm none the wise. <laughs> he also played uh, King George in Hamilton, but that again, just plucking blind references out there now. <laughs> So we were recording on a Saturday morning again because we were out. For a very late dinner for last night. Far too late dinner last night. I was I was at Craft Co. for hours yesterday. Right. 
I was there from like 5.30-ish, 5.40 till 9.30. Oh, it was much later than 9.30. 10 o'clock. It was probably closer to 11 by the time we got home. Oh. And, I'm, and, and yep, we're going back to we're going back tonight. For I'm trying to think of the last thing we didn't go to Craftco for dinner. <laughs> Because you had wings on Wednesday. We had the ravioli on Thursday. Uh-huh. We had that thing, whatever last it was, night. last night. And then we've got this thing, whatever it is, tonight. Yeah, we have the lua tonight. Let's eat at home on Sunday, shall we? Uh, please. <laughs> yeah, but um, our oldest, his his other grandmother and dad were in town. So he treated us all to dinner, but he doesn't get out of work until nine, so... We had nine people eating dinner at nine o'clock at night. Lovely stuff. Yeah. And he paid. It was great. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So yeah, so cue an hour and a half of me confusing <laughs> tonight with this morning right. and vice versa. <laughs> Shall we preamble, my dear? Yes, please. Cody News. Are you going to go ahead? No. Colson Smith, who plays Craig, turned 21 this week. This week. Happy birthday. Either this week or last week. I don't know. And celebrated with a quiet meal with family. That's that's (laughs) so not news. (laughs) Shut up. It is news. It is news because that means I could be his (laughs) mum because Nick is 21. What's interesting about the... uh, Sofa Cinema Club that he does with Jack P. Shepard and Ben Price. He's 21. Jack P. Shepard, I think, is 35 or 36. And Ben Price is one year older than me, so he's 47. I'm trying to think about watching movies with... A 21-year-old? A 21-year-old and a 35-year-old, like watching a movie with Nick. Which you've done. Yeah, he's got a stupid taste in movies. Well, he has different tastes in movies. Right. I think once you get a little bit older, you're... I don't think the movies that I liked when I was 21 are movies that I particularly like well, now, with just a few exceptions. Yeah. He and I went to see Spider-Man Far From Home, oh, and we go. both liked well, it. That's because you have a juvenile taste in, Oi! in movies. <laughs> Oi! It's because I have a special relationship and a nostalgic feel for comic book characters. That's what I meant. As many adults in this country do. And around the world. But remember when you guys... There have been movies that you two have gone to together that I didn't go to. Yeah, stupid movies. Well, yeah, like uh, uh, that uh, Seth Rogen movie. Which James Franco. The end of the world one. Exceptionally pure, yeah. Yeah. Didn't you guys went and saw a James Bond movie together once? Yeah, I think you fell asleep during that, though. I thought he liked it. It was his first James Bond. It was a bonding experience for the two of you. I think it was the first movie the two of you went to together by yeah, quite possibly. Ha <laughs> ha. So yeah, so it's an interesting dynamic on that podcast when you yes. have three people of with a fair age gap between them all. Right. And all growing up in very different environments. Right. Yes. It does seem though that Jack P. Shepard and Ben Price gang up on Colson Smith though. Yes. And he's definitely going to have a heads gone moment. And <laughs> an episode to come. I'm quite interested uh, for the whole West Side Story one because th- that's that's a musical, and that was the choice of 
Ben and Jack. And Coulson does like to sing along. Yes. Although, I mean, it's also a musical with gang fights, so I guess I guess it still does stick to their M.O. Right. <laughs> so there we go. We've, we've managed to manufacture anyway, some Corey news out anyway, of that. Anyway, back to Corey news. What age is somebody else, Helen? I like to mention people's birthdays. That's that's interesting. The BBC. Oh. We'll air an hour-long documentary entitled The Women of Weatherfield on Monday, August 26th, paying tribute to the strong female characters on the show, with archival footage and interviews with Jane Danson, a.k.a. Leanne, Barbara Knox, a.k.a. Rita, and Sue Nichols, a.k.a. Audrey. So that's interesting that the BBC, the BBC is doing shown this. a tribute show to their rival soap, soap opera on ITV. I think that's very interesting. Kind of cool. Do you know why that's happening? It's not being shown on ITV. Well, the IT, ITV is doing some uh, anniversary show later on in the year. Um, but this was something that the BBC specifically did because I, I guess the heart of Coronation Street for sixty odd years now has been the strong female characters. So they're just either that or they've just run out of old episodes of Doctor Who to show on the BBC. I don't know. It's I don't work for the BBC. Or do research. <laughs> it seems like the BBC are kind of taking the piss a little bit here. No. No, I think it's delightful. It's it's nice. It's the women of Weatherfield, so it's you know, it's an They're important... They're paying on ITV's chips. Yeah. It's, it's, it's giving tribute to a competitor. It's like when... Um, Tennis players shake hands after a game. That's nothing like that. <laughs> Finally, Faye Brooks, a.k.a. Kate, denies rumors that she has split from fiancé Gareth Gates, stating, just let a girl be, please. And that's Corey News. Hindsight Corner. A blue, 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 blue. There's nothing in Hindsight Corner. <laughs> Wait, weren't there some things that we were, like, questioning last week about something? Quite possible. I didn't listen back to last week's episode, so... Oh. Oh, and then you give me a row for shoddy Corey News. Well, one of your items of Corey News was man turns 21 and does nothing. <laughs> well, that is kind of news, because when you turn 21, you're, you're supposed to go out and party and get drunk with your friends. But then again, it's different over there, because 21 is not as big of a deal. Yeah, 21's a big deal. Is it? Mm-hmm. Oh, not, you can not already the, drink. Yeah, not from the point of view of drinking, doing stuff, but it still has a, it's a monumental More than birthday. 20. Oh, yeah, definitely. Mm, that's interesting. So, yeah. Fuck all in hindsight corner. What you're drinking? Water and coffee. Yeah, me too, because it's... Fuck all in the morning. <laughs> 8.36 a.m. 8.36. Oi. Uh, shall we dive in, my dear? Oh, yes, please. Why don't you tell me what happened last Friday? <laughs> oh, yeah, last Friday. Oh, so long ago. So much has happened since. <sighs> Let's start with Emma, shall we? What happened with the Emma storyline last Friday? Her dad was already dead. Yes. The funeral, did that happen Monday or Friday? Wednesday. Wednesday. I've I've had such a busy crazy week it's so hard to keep things right way around in my head i remember tim's dad being a real asshole on friday 
But then he was an asshole on Monday as well. He was supposed to play bridge. Oh, the bridge happened on Friday. That's right. The bridge club thing happened on Friday. Johnny and Jenny cheat and get very drunk. Um, How did you cheat at bridge? Uh, it, Johnny was doing numbers on the sides of his shot glass with his fingers. Oh. <laughs> Which sounds much more kinky than it was. <laughs> it really does. Mary, with her chatter, frustrates Claudia, and Claudia leaves in a huff, and Ken follows after her, so they are out. And then, so then it was just down to Mary and Brian, because Mary plays with Brian, and um, Yasmin and Tim's dad. And Tim's dad says that Mary can't talk throughout the whole game because that was her you know he doesn't want her to do any mind tricks the way she's been doing with was this a deliberate tactic from mary just to yabber, th- yabber shite to I put think, people off i think partially because she was also pretending that she had no idea how to play bridge and that was psychological warfare as well okay um did tim's dad know how to play bridge yes he did he did all right so he wasn't lying about that no now. okay but, i assumed he was but even though Mary can't talk throughout the whole game. And then there's one part where, um, well, the rule is she can only talk about bridge. She can't talk about anything else. And there's one point where Mary needs to use the loo. And the loo it has nothing to do with bridge. So she writes it out and she shows it to them. And Yasmin laughs and says, okay, fine. No, it's go ahead. You, that's, that's fine. You don't have to, you know. And then Mary comes back, and Mary and Brian win. And then Yasmin and Tim's dad go back to their place. And Tim's dad just barrels into Yasmin, claiming that she was flirting with Johnny, which is stupid and didn't happen. And that he was, she was purposely trying to embarrass him. And he, she didn't have his back, and that's why they lost. And all this other gaslighting garbage that made me want to throw my iPad across the room. And it was just horrible. Do you and think Tim's dad disgusting. thinks these things or knows what he's saying is rubbish? I think it's I think it's half and half because like with the whole camera thing, which we'll get into for this week, right? Mm. The cameras go in mm. on Monday. The cameras go in on Monday? They go in this week. I can't remember yes. if it was Monday or not. But. It must have been Monday. But, you know, before he does it, he's like, oh, I'm doing this nice surprise for Yasmin to make her feel more secure. Of course, she's not going to like it. And there's a part of me that feels like he thinks he means what he says with some of the stuff. But then at other times, I don't know. I don't know what his end game is. I really don't. And it's frustrating and it's traumatizing and it's triggering. And I just... Want to throw my iPad across the room? So that's the Tim's dad bit then from Friday. That yes. sounds like a lot of fun. I can't really remember exactly what happened with the whole Emma thing. Well, the bit that I picked up on Monday seemed to be that Steve has paid for stuff. Yes, Steve pays. Uh, Steve ends up taking Emma to the funeral home because there's a bus strike. So that's why he's doing it. So so, so he takes her to the funeral home and drops her off and tells her no charge in his cab. 
and then he's waiting outside and she's gone in all by herself and I think he feels bad so he parks the cab and he goes in as well and he's sitting with her and she's looking at all of the different caskets and is trying to pick one out and is realizing that she just doesn't have enough money uh-huh. for one as well as the flowers and the all, all the other stuff but they normally just charge it to the account that you settle up after you get after the money's released from the deceased person you're not expected to have thousands of pounds well that's not how it works in scotland anyway well england is a harsher or maybe parent. just because of plot Right. So anyway, um, Emma goes to use the loo and Steve goes up to the funeral director and asks if they could maybe give her a deal. And the funeral director says, yeah, we don't really do that sort of thing. And so he says, "Okay, well, I'll pay for this casket and just tell her that you've given her a deal or something. And so that's what happens. And then he takes her back to... Weatherfield and they go to the rovers and he buys her a drink and and everything and then he leaves and then the funeral director calls Emma and even though Steve said don't tell her I'm the one who paid for it just tell her it was just a special deal the funeral director for some reason does tell her that it was Steve who paid for the casket sure because plot right and she's confused about this and you know, goes to find him and gives him a hug and says, thank you for, for helping out and stuff. And Tracy sees it and Tracy gets upset and Tracy seems to think that Steve is having relations with Emma, which, as we know, is absolutely not the case. Right, because Steve knows at this point, doesn't he? Yes. Yeah, because he found out last Wednesday. Mm-hmm. Right. Yeah. He, I don't think he's gotten the results of the DNA test yet. No, that happens this week. Right. So that's what happens with that. And I'm sure some, I'm sure other stuff happened on Friday. And I am so sorry that I can't remember. Typically, the last time we did this, I still had everything in my head, but it's really early. And I've just had a week's full of meetings and garbage and stuff. And the kids are back and I haven't gotten enough sleep. So I'm very sorry. I'm sure other people can remind us what happened on Friday. On the Twitter and on the Facebook and on the Insta. So please do. Refresh our memory. Our first storyline this morning. I need to drink all my coffee. Tim's fucking dad. Oh, what a fucking, fucking (laughs) asshole. I just want to fucking throw him off a cliff. And then shoot him. On Monday then, (sighs) Yasmin is up and is very upset. And Yasmin upset is actually a little bit worse than Emma being upset, I think. About even. Oh no, I think it's even worse being getting to a certain age and being upset. Being young and upset, you've got your whole life ahead of you. Being Yasmin's age and upset is like you could be upset for the rest of your life, but potentially here, dear. Anyway, she tries to hide it when Tim's dad comes down the stairs and he's instantly a dick to her. He doesn't she doesn't like treading on eggshells in her own home and he's waiting for an apology, but in the meantime, he's sorry that she ignores his feelings and he goes off to make his own cereal, leaving Yasmin very confused. Right, yeah, because you know, he's waiting for an apology for her not quote unquote supporting him during the stupid bridge game, which apparently was a live or die situation. <laughs> and the culmination of that was that Yasmin slept in the spare bedroom. 
In her own house. In her own house. <laughs> this is ridiculous. It's just kick him to fuck. Yeah. Um, so Tim's dad is in the Rovers, and Jenny apologises on behalf of her and Johnny, and gives him a bottle of red on the house. Tim's dad pretends that there's no reason to apologise, and then goes over to speak with Tim, and he paints a very different picture about the row he's just had with Yasmin. And then he gets a call from some workman that he needs to let into the house. Then Yasmin comes home with the wine from the pub. Tim's dad is still giving her the cold shoulder, and she says that she never set out to humiliate him. She wa- she wasn't flirting with Johnny, and she'd never laugh at him. Well, because he's not very funny. She says she's hard work and set in her ways and she promises to be more mindful of her behaviour and she wants him to work as a team. She apologises and he accepts. And they hug. And then the workmen come in and Tim's dad reveals that he's installed a state-of-the-art security system and Yasmin notices the cameras that are scattered in all the corners of her house. And freaks out a little bit. Justifiably. As you'd be wont to do. If there's suddenly security cameras in your house that you didn't ask for in your house. Right. Yeah. He seems to think it's his house now. Just like he seems to think it's his bank account. Because that's how he paid for this was from the insurance money. What she sent to his bank account, remember? Right, yeah. But and then we thought she's never seen be, that money. And was supposed to be sent to her bank account. But she can't get into her bank account because he's changed the password. Mm. The cameras are everywhere and Yasmin worries about the expense and Tim's dad says that the insurance payout covered it. She asks if he thought of consulting her first. If she wanted a state-of-the-art security system, she'd have ordered one. Tim's dad says he can't do right for doing wrong and storms off while Yasmin pinches the bridge of her nose. Later, Tim's dad is ranting about the pleasure Yasmin seems to take from attacking him. All he's trying to do is make her safe. He says that she's not good for his mental health. He calls her passive-aggressive and then accuses her of giving one of the workmen the eye and then he dumps her. And I'm like, okay, good. Dump her. But not good. because Just dump her, get out of her life. This is more just psychological warfare and projecting his personality traits onto her. And it's it's just so ridiculous at this point. And yet she's sad. Why? Why is she sad? She should be happy. She's free. Right. You're free, Yasmin. You're free. She can't possibly look at him and think he's anything other than a dick. Right? Uh, He's a weaselly old man. He's a fucking amateur magician, let's not forget. He's not a very good DJ. I can't imagine he's very good in bed. Right, but if... (sighs) He's not a good companion. She doesn't have an awful lot to compare him to, let's remember. He's only the second person she's ever slept with. I don't know. I just don't and think because she, and he because has no he's really the only, only the second person she's ever had a relationship with. We've got to consider not just her physical age, but her emotional age and social age for this sort of a situation as well. If she hasn't had enough relationships to look back on and say... Yeah, this is a bad one. Because let's remember, her relationship with her deceased husband wasn't great either. He right. cheated on her and, and left her and stuff. Then she can't see it with as clear of an eye, especially being in the trenches, as, say, we can. So 
I think we have to consider that when we see her being all upset that he's dumped her and see her apologizing for things that she doesn't need to apologize for. I think he very intentionally in the beginning, this is why he very intentionally got into a relationship with Yasmin because he could see her vulnerabilities a mile off. But again, if he's that calculating, what's his what's his goal here? Well, I think his goal was to, to get her house, to cow a woman into a relationship. But th- that doesn't seem like much fun for him either. <laughs> no, I think this he gets is... a certain sadistic pleasure out of cowing a woman and berating a woman and putting a woman down constantly. I think there are certain men who take great pleasure in doing things like that in this world. Believe it or not. It just doesn't seem like. Well, that's because you're a good person, (laughs) Gav. That's because you don't take pleasure in hurting other people. But unfortunately, there are people in this world who do. Tim Stad has dismantled all the cameras and continues his gaslighting of Yasmin. She wants to talk once the dust has settled and... Uh, he ignores her. Tim's dad, as well as packing, has placed a security camera behind a rack of CDs. When she comes downstairs, he tells her that he's moving in with Tim for a few days. Then he pretends that he's got some mystery illness, but he won't tell her what's wrong. He claims he doesn't want to burden her. She calls him thoughtful. Better late than <laughs> never, he says. And he leaves, leaving Yasmin distraught. Then Tim's dad is round at Tim's complaining about Yasmin being a grump and him not being good enough, and he goes on about his mental health again. Tim suggests speaking with her, but he's tried that, and he calls her the Queen of Mean. Which could not be further from the truth when it comes to (laughs) Yasmin. Beautiful, wonderful Yasmin. (laughs) Gentle, giving, generous Yasmin. Oh, she'd do anything for you. Absolutely. (sighs) Funny Yasmin. Mm-hmm. Charming Yasmin. She likes a drink. <laughs> she's funny with a drink in her. <laughs> right, but I mean, even without a drink in her, she's she's a good person and is delightful to hang out with and is loyal to her friends and... Uh, where is Tim's dad? Uh, <laughs> and I mean, and Tim says to his dad, he's like, you know, there's... There's times with with Sally and I and we sit down and one of us speaks and the other one listens and doesn't speak. And then the and then the other one has their say and we work and we work things out and we have a strong relationship where we both listen to one another. They set the cooker timer, I think. Right. Yeah. And Tim's dad kind of calls about poof for it. (laughs) Right. You know, which which I quite liked how you said poof there. (laughs) Which, again, could be further from the truth because Tim and Sally, one of the strongest relationships on the street, healthy sex life. (laughs) (laughs) Strong marriage. Get along with one another. Enjoy one another's Mm -hmm. company. Mm -hmm. You know? So maybe Tim's dad, you should take a lesson from your son who is much, much better of a person somehow than you are. I don't know how that works. I don't know how that happened. Especially since, didn't Tim's mom kill herself? No, I... I, I, I get could, away from Tim's dad. No, I I imagined that that's what happens. So now in my head, whenever I think about Tim's mom, Tim's mom definitely killed herself. But I don't think she did. 
I just think that she did because Tim's dad is so awful. But she is dead. She's. I, I don't know. Hmm. Next week. Got something to look up in hindsight, hindsight corner. corner. Thank goodness. <laughs> Later, when he's alone in the house, Tim's dad uses his laptop to spy on Yasmin, and he sees her upset and sitting on the couch. Did we do a mailbag? Cry me a river, he says. No, we didn't do the mailbag. <laughs> I'll do the mailbag at the end. All right. <laughs> there wasn't very much in it anyway. Okay. On Wednesday, Tim's dad meets Yasmin at Roy's Rolls under the pretense of giving her her key back. She insists that he keep it, and it turns out she's having problems logging on to her online banking. She can't remember her password, and he tells her that they changed it, remember, and goes mental when she can't remember this. He refuses to tell her her own password in, in public and says it will come round to help her at the house later. Oh. Tim's dad is frustratingly trying to explain secondary authentication to Yasmin, who's struggling to understand. She asks him to go through it one more time, and he says that he has time to do that before his doctor's appointment. And she makes a big deal about this again. Then Tim's dad has been to see Dr. Gadas. Dr. Gadas is in it! Yay! (laughs) There's nothing wrong with Tim's dad. Well, nothing that a punch to the face wouldn't sort. Yeah. But he pretends to be concerned uh, about his health after Tim's heart attack. Garas says, keep an eye on it and come back if you have any symptoms. In other words, there's fuck all wrong with you. Get out of my office. And Tim's dad does that. Yes, but once he shuts the door, he has this look on his face like, damn, there's nothing wrong with me. Right. (laughs) In the rovers, Tim's dad is playing on the health issues thing again. And he claims that he's having palpitations. And he ignores Yasmin when she shows genuine concern. And I don't think I took a note of this, but... Did we end it with Tim's dad moving back in? Oh. Well, that's as far as we get this week with Tim's dad. I have a feeling that Tim is going to be pivotal in bringing down his own father. That would be cool. Yeah, I'd like that to happen. And i like it to happen fairly soon. Yes, because I don't... And I don't I, think I it's don't... going to happen very soon. I think this is... It's torture. Dragging on for it's, a little bit longer. It's torture. But, as I said earlier on this week in the tweets... It's a good storyline. Oh, it's as a remarkably good storyline. As line. uncomfortable as it makes me, you know, it's been a slow burn. This is something that's developed over months and months and months. months, and months. You know, this is what a proper soap storyline should be, you know, because you have all the time in the world. Let's be honest. This is a soap opera that's been going on for 60 years. You have all the time in the world. You don't have to wrap these things up in like a week's time or in a half hour installments. It's a soap opera that shows three times a week. You can be slow and it's better when you're slow. Wink, wink. It rewards the the viewer a little bit more Mm -hmm. than say the the, uh, modern slavery storyline did. Right. Which was bubbling on and we didn't really know what was happening at first and then we suspected what was happening and then we kind of knew what was happening and then Seb found out what was happening and then it finished. Right. And like, oh. Yeah. Is that it? Yeah. Whereas this one, you kind of, I saw people say, since when did Tim's dad become such a dick? And you like, he's been a dick since we started doing this. Yeah, pretty like, much. Back in right. the last year. He right. Was, he's always been a tit. And I, I remember... In the beginning, kind of defending him a little bit. Like when he wants to take his relationship with Yasmin 
to the next level right. and everything. And you didn't like it. I was appalled by that. And I said, well, I think it's kind of nice that they're addressing the sex lives of, of older people in the show and and it's interesting and and they're having frank conversations about it and isn't that nice and it wasn't nice no it was horrible in hindsight <laughs> it wasn't nice it was horrible yeah but as a storyline i think it's massively effective absolutely it's really shining a light on something that uh gets overlooked quite a lot yes you, you, absolutely. you think of abuse as being a more physical thing right you but don't... this emotional and psychological abuse is just as damaging. Right. If not and more so. potentially more so because yeah. the, the bruises fade, right? Right. I'm not saying for a moment that that's not an awful thing. Right. But Jasmine could be psychologically broken. Absolutely. Years after this Absolutely. is done and in a, unable to trust right. anyone and ever again. Right. And she already had trust issues with men before this relationship. Right. Because let's remember... <laughs> Her husband had an affair and left her. And this is... She's not had very good luck in her life. Oh, she's so strong in every other aspect of her right. life, though. It's just... Damn it, Yasmin. Come on. <laughs> Come on, girl. Neiman Newts. <sighs> <laughs> Our next storyline tonight, this morning, is... Well, well, uh, well caught. Nine o'clock. Nine o'clock in the a.m. Is this a strange wee one? This was Bethany and uh, Daniel. Oh, okay, yes. Did anything happen with this on Friday? No, this all happens on Monday, doesn't it? it that seemed, the guy comes in. It seemed to start on Monday. I'm just checking to see that nothing happened previously to that that I missed. No, except for um, Bethany getting upset at Daniel and Kate because they have lives and she doesn't, and they kind of assume that she doesn't have a life and can take more hours and. All this other stuff, and she doesn't want to hear about Kate's trip and Daniel's baby anymore because she has neither of those things. Oh, okay. On Monday, Sinead has brought Bertie into the bistro. Then in comes Bethany, and they talk about Emma organising her dad's funeral. This yeah. was news to Sinead, although Daniel admitted to knowing. They briefly chat about Bethany choosing a new vocation, and then Sinead is off, calling Bertie bugger lugs on the way out. No. Oh. Or sodomy ears, if you prefer. No. <laughs> Bethany's child. <laughs> yeah, and and um, so to meet yours. Yeah, and they didn't tell Sinead because Emma's dad died of cancer, and right. they seem to they think they can't mention cancer. Sinead is a fragile flower, around whom the word cancer can never be uttered. Correct. Bethany's chatted oh, because it'll make it come back. Magic. Bethany's chatted to <laughs> chatted to Daniel about being a tour guide, but then apologizes for dropping him in it. After Emma's dad's cancer thing, Bethany's jobs, it turns out, are stymied by her lack of qualifications. He tells her to have more faith in herself. Then at the bistro, a small group come in and Daniel goes to serve them and Bethany seems to recognise one of them, panics and runs through to the back into the kitchen. Yeah, he goes to seed them. Yeah. But it's Bethany's, it's, a, it's supposed to be Bethany's table. Meanwhile, Shona in Roy's Rolls has noticed that Sinead isn't happy. She's barely touched her knickerbocker glory. She reveals that she's upset that Emma's dad died of cancer and Daniel didn't tell her, but it's knocked her for six, so maybe he was right, maybe he shouldn't have told her. You don't want to live in my head, she says. It's so exhausting. And I believe her. I can quite believe that. So Bethany's panicking in the kitchen. She explains to Daniel that the man outside was one of Nathan's friends. It's Conrad's his name. 
Conrad and Nathan. Yeah. Sure. Daniel wants to knock this fella's block off. Bethany would prefer they just ignore him, probably because Daniel couldn't knock the skin off a rice pudding. He thinks his wife should know, but Bethany doesn't want to give him satisfaction, and she tells Daniel to serve him, and then goes back into the restaurant. It's Conrad the pedo's anniversary, and he's celebrating with his wife, and Daniel looks like he's having trouble holding on to his temper, and I think his daughter's there as well. Yes, yes, his daughter is there as well, and he's quite creepy with his wife. Like, he has got (laughs) weird nicknames. They've got weird nicknames for each other, and it's... I didn't notice that. Creepy. Later still, Daniel has had enough. He takes a bowl of gazpacho soup over to Conrad and pours it onto Conrad's lap. He calls Conrad out, telling him that he's one of Nathan's friends and his wife says, I bloody knew this. I knew you were a paedophile, you piece of shit. Well, I, I knew there was something wrong. I, I told you to stay away from that Nathan guy. Right. I knew there was something wrong with that Nathan guy. And Bethany sees what's happening and she doesn't look too happy about this. She is not. Conrad's wife and daughter storm out, and he follows at the back of them. Bethany is angry that Daniel ignored her. She doesn't think his daughter deserved that, but calls, but he calls it collateral damage. This is all on Conrad, but Bethany isn't buying it and storms off to get away from Daniel, and he's left to think, well, what the fuck did I do wrong? Then Bethany is standing outside the, beast, the bistro watching Conrad beg his wife for forgiveness, but she's in the car, revving the engine, and he's standing in front of it, preventing her from driving off. So she slams it into reverse and hoors it, looking set to crash into Bethany. But Bethany is saved at the last minute by a magical flying Craig. (laughs) He was 21, by the way, and didn't do anything for his birthday. He went out with his family, which is nice. (laughs) I'm trying to remember what I did for my 21st. I think I went out with my family. I was in New York and I got drunk and got my hole. Good for you. (laughs) That's so long ago now. <laughs> now you can get drunk and get your hole whenever you want. Yay! <laughs> <laughs> your mother and children are here. Yes, they are. <laughs> that doesn't make it untrue. <laughs> oh, it's painting a very strange picture of life at Talk of the Street Towers. <laughs> Aggie, Aggie tends Doors to Doors lock. <laughs> Craig flies. Aggie tends to a prostrate. Prostrate? Postrate. What one's up your bum? Is that your prostrate? That's your prostate. So he's prostrate then. He's lying out flat. Oh, yeah, there you go. He's Party a pig. He's a. <laughs> God, it's so early. I'm so tired. <laughs> yeah, and then you give me flat for being tired. <sighs> No, I'll give you flack for your Cory news. Right. He's in a lot of pain and Bethany blames Daniel for all, for all of this while Conrad and family watch on. Come on, Broom, we can do this. <laughs> Daniel goes to, goes to see Bethany. He was in the waiting room of the hospital for Craig. It seems Sinead has given Daniel... A row. Well, I've written a bollocking uh, for getting involved. Bethany trusted Daniel... Thought he was a true friend, but he made her feel powerless. He says he couldn't bear to see Conrad happy. You? Asks Bethany. You couldn't bear to see Conrad happy? Are you fucking kidding me? This is all about you and your ego, and he's made her feel like a victim. He insists that she's heard and not powerless, but she sends him home. And they're both right, and they're both wrong in this situation. 
I don't think Bethany's 100% right here. She mm-hmm. asked me to do something and he didn't do it. Right, but... This is her battle. Right, but... This is a battle she, to be fought on her terms. Right, and and I get that. But also, it was important for this guy to get called out before he could harm other people. Because this is how this, is how this happens. This is how people like that are allowed to get away with it, is because they don't get called out. And they go on to harm other people. Right. So while the way Daniel did it with his gazpacho was kind of ridiculous, the guy did need to be called out. And the guy did need to face consequences. I wonder if the gazpacho was inspired by Red Dwarf in any way. Anytime I see gazpacho soup, I think of Red Dwarf. Anytime I see gazpacho soup, I think of a um, Capital One commercial with... um, (laughs) With Samuel L. Jackson, where, or maybe it wasn't a Capital One, maybe it was for uh, Alexa or something, where he's making gazpacho and he needs to set a timer because he doesn't want, because he wants to serve gazpacho, not hot spacho. Oh. <laughs> and Red Dwarf, uh, Rimmer, when he's at the captain's table for the first time, sends back his gazpacho soup because it's, it's too cold. cold. <laughs> And that's the one chance he has to be an elite officer and he screws it up. That's hilarious. On Wednesday then, we learn from Sinead and Roy's roles that Craig's going to get out of hospital today. Huzzah! Daniel comes in and apologises again, but Bethany isn't about to make him feel better and leaves without accepting the apology. And Craig is out of hospital and goes round to see Bethany. He tells her that Conrad has been arrested. He confessed all after his wife chucked him out. She won't even need to go to court. And Bethany's quite chuffed by this. Yeah, so in the end, something good came out of this. <laughs> in the street, Craig shows Bethany a Weather Gazette article on his phone that Daniel wrote. Because remember, Daniel writes for the Weather Gazette. Gazette. Remember that? Conveniently. Remember how Daniel writes for the Weather Gazette? Right. Because he's such a good writer in that. Yep. <laughs> he's written about Craig's heroic exploits and capabilities of flight. Huzzah! And then being knocked over by a car. He tells her that Daniel was just trying to do the right thing and she should go easy on him now. And then on Friday, at the bistro, Daniel apologises yet again for the Bethany thing and Bethany calls him out for writing that piece on Craig, but she wants to make a difference for other girls who are stuck in that situation that she found herself in the other year. Her plan is to write about her experiences. Maybe it's a book, maybe it's a blog she doesn't know yet. But she just wants to let people know that they aren't alone. And Daniel thinks this is a brilliant idea. Absolutely. And then offers to help. Right. Because remember he he writes for the Weather Gazette, so maybe it'll Oh remember be, that, yeah. He writes maybe for... it'll be a collection of essays in the Weather Gazette. Oh. Just Daniel getting involved in stuff that he doesn't need to get involved in, basically. Yeah, <sighs> well, she was the one who went for went to him last week looking for advice as far as getting her life in order and figuring out what she wants to do with her life. And he suggested writing a list. Two lists. A list of all the things she wants to do, that she's ever thought that maybe she'd like to do, and then a list of all the things she's qualified for. And And then a list of all the things that she has to pick up from the shops when she goes (laughs) around later. And Bethany says, that's it? That's your big, huge life advice? This is your idea of helping me? Right. (laughs) <laughs> we have That's now something that happened on Friday, I just remembered. 
It's, it's beautiful how it's <laughs> been drip fed here. As 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 more coffee goes into my body, more things I remember. Strap yourself in, Helen. Ooh, it's a Bailey storyline that doesn't feature Kirk's arse. Okay, I, I I didn't understand any of those words put together. It's a Bailey storyline. The oh. Baileys. Oh, a Baileys. I thought you said a belly. That doesn't feature Kirk's ass. A belly story that doesn't feature Kirk's ass. No, Bailey, not belly. Bailey. Bailey, there you go. That's what I said. No, you said belly. <laughs> Sometimes you're more Scottish than This is what I have to times. be up with. Bailey. On Monday, Aggie's measuring up at home. She's pissed that Ed isn't getting through his honeydew list. She's putting up a shelf with glue, much to Ed's const- oh, consternation I've written. Ooh. That's a $5 word right Ooh. there. I'm going to start calling you Daniel. He tells us <laughs> to send Michael his way. <laughs> he takes a shelf from her and tells her to bolt. He'll do it. Then Bernie meets Michael in Roy's Rolls. Oh, because I've thrown in the Bernie... Uh, something the definitely story. Which happened on Friday. Oh, okay. See, for some reason, I thought that happened on Monday. So, um, Bernie needs a job because she owes money for this whole parking thing and stuff. So, she's looking in the paper and she can't really find anything. And Gemma says, Mom, you need to find something because you need to start pulling your weight. So, out of this, Bernie decides to clog the toilet so that Gemma has to pee in a bucket. What? She's harvesting Gemma's pee and then using it to get positive pregnancy tests and then selling them on the dark web because apparently Bernie knows how to get on the dark web. What? Yeah. And so Gemma gets Michael to come over and fix the toilet and Michael finds the t-shirt in the toilet. Even though it's and it's miraculously dry somehow, it's a how to save your how to train your dragon T-shirt or something, and um, and Bernie confesses to Michael, and then Michael says, "This is illegal. This is bad." But also, if you bought your pregnancy tests wholesale and listed them as as gag gifts, then you could sell them legally on regular internet. Uh, shops and you wouldn't have to sell them on the dark web and Bernie says oh I don't know how to do that I need help so Michael goes into business with her selling Gemma's Wee or not Gemma's Wee but Gemma's Wee on pregnancy tests she knows how to access the dark web and sell the stuff illegally right and presumably get paid in bitcoin but she doesn't know how to do it legally legally. on regular websites that are made to be to sell things easily. Mm. Yeah. What she needs is a decent e-commerce platform. like. Oh, and then Evelyn finds out as well. That's in this week. No, that's this week. Okay. So I won't so, say anything more about that. Bernie meets Michael in Roy's roles. He's helping her in the pregnancy test scam thing, but he's having second thoughts about it. Bernie speaks, sweet talks him back into it and then pays him, but it's not enough. She'll settle later and then tells him to get some cheap pregnancy tests. And I was terribly confused by all this, but now it makes... <laughs> Kind Some of kind sense. of sense. Yeah. It, I don't know. A storyline that features Gemma peeing in a bucket. <laughs> this wouldn't happen 30 years ago. I don't, and I don't know how they're harvesting Gemma's pee now because the, the toilet's fixed. Oh, 
just having the word harvest is <laughs> not great either. <laughs> Later, Ed admits to using glue on the shelf and he succeeded in gluing himself to the door. Which that was glue funny. really is pretty strong. What a slapstick storyline for the Baileys. Right. On the street, Cerberus sticks his nose into Michael's bag and eventually all the pregnancy tests fall out onto the pavement. Because someone, Cerberus smells the pee. Someone expecting, asks Evelyn. <laughs> She's brilliant. Michael says that he can explain. So meanwhile, James and Aggie are having great fun taking the piss out of Ed. It seems Ed was cutting corners to make to make it to James's training tonight because he'd promised him ham and eggs afterwards or something. I've spent a huge amount of the storyline confused. <clears throat> Later, Aggie's round at Dev's filling him in on the Ed situation, gluing himself to the, the door and that. And she goes to buy her messages, but her card is declined. Dev offers to give her tick, but... Uh, Aggie declines and is embarrassed and leaves. Correct. Then at home, Michael explains the plan to Evelyn. Bernie says Gemma doesn't know about it and that's the way it's going to need to stay. Evelyn wants hush money. She wants 50 quid. Bernie refuses, so Evelyn sticks her fee up to 100 quid. (laughs) Then Aggie nabs Ed and tells him about the declined card. What's going on, Edison? Says a fearsome Aggie. Yes. Now she's fearsome. We've heard about Aggie being fearsome. Yes. She is fearsome. Absolutely. <laughs> ex- She's awesome. I love her. He explains about all the expenses he's had recently, paying for this house and then the builder's yard. She wanted to be kept in the loop. Plus, he managed to take 250 quid out yesterday. So what was that all about? Aggie seems uncommonly upset that Dev pitied her. Yes. She was really upset about that. Absolutely. He thinks that he's due another instalment from the factory. Uh, but what good's that going to do, she asks. It's going to be swallowed up immediately by the rover draft. Then Bernie's at Dev's and Evelyn's enjoying herself reading the death notices. <laughs> <laughs> Bernie is very interested in Evelyn's cash and carry card and tries to steal it back, but Evelyn notices and manages and uh, Bernie throws it back at her or something. It was pretty dull and is up there for a boring moment of the week. Right, yeah, because if <clears throat> if Bernie had one of those cards... Then she'd be able to get pregnancy tests cheaper Trade in price, bulk. Right. right, yeah. Later, Ed tells Michael about Aggie's card. There seems to be some previous on the go here. Ed has had cash problems in the past, it seems. He needs five or six grand to get him out of this hole, and Michael might uh, be able to help him out. But Ed just wants him to get working on the factory. He's sick of all these schemes that Michael has and all these harebrained plans. Then on Wednesday, Aggie's gently ribbing Ed about their money situation, cryptically saying that she worries that things are going to go wrong again and blaming Michael for some reason. Meanwhile, James announces that he's off to test drive a new car with one of his teammates. That's exciting, isn't it, Helen? Ooh. Then Michael has some errands to run before he puts in a shift at the factory. Michael and Bernie have met up at Roy's Rolls. He reveals that they're shipping out the last of the fake tests today. Because there seems to be a massive market for this. Apparently... As like a gag gift or blackmail or, you know, if if you if you want to convince somebody that you're pregnant but you're not because of emotional blackmail. So basically all the people that are buying these fake pregnancy tests are characters and soap operas. <laughs> Probably. Right. Well they would have to be. Oh, that's quite meta, isn't it? <laughs> Because in the world of Coronation Street, everyone in the country behaves like characters in Coronation Street. Absolutely. Oh, wow. 
So anywhere <sighs> in the UK, there are people constantly lying and trying to get married to two people at the same time. And so essentially, they're selling they're, the, the cast of Coronation Street is selling pregnancy uh, positive pregnancy tests to characters on EastEnders, right? Maybe. Or, or just people that are living their normal lives that aren't <laughs> on film. But are just as horrible. Uh-huh. Yeah. Oh, what, what, a, what, what a bleak dystopian future we're kind of painting here. So Michael and Bernie have met up. Oh no, have I said that? Yes, you yep. have. So he tells, uh, Michael tells Bernie to get Gemma filled up for the next batch. And she's, <laughs> apparently it's dandelion and burdock that's her tipple of choice. Meanwhile, at home, Aggie finds the pregnancy tests in a plastic bag. And she jumps to the conclusion that Michael's knocked somebody up. Correct. And forced them to take multiple pregnancy tests. Well, she only finds two, because there's two in in his pocket. Was that all it was? Yeah. Later at home, Aggie and Ed are speculating about who the tests belong to. And Aggie reckons it's her from the bistro, that Michelle one. Yikes. She she came to the house to do the test away from her chefy pal. Calls him chefy. Yeah. Aggie says if it hadn't been for Michael, they would have been able to stay where they'd been living and they would have had savings. So this is all becoming very mysterious. Mm. Then Michael shows up at home and Aggie tears him a new one when she thinks that he's got someone up the duff. But she's even more furious when she discovers the truth. Yeah. She's had enough of his schemes and she tells him to pack his bags. Right. And Ed looks on with a bit of a guilty expression on his face. Correct. In the Rovers later, Michael is remarkably calm about being thrown out of the house. Along comes Bernie, and Michael puts, uh, pulls out of the Enterprise. He'll regret it, she says, and off she goes. Then in comes James, and Michael says Dad wants to borrow some money from him. James can lend him some money. Ed isn't sure, but eventually agrees on the proviso that Aggie doesn't find out. Then at Roy's Rolls, James checks in with Michael to make sure that the loan isn't for him, and is really for Ed, but then reveals that he only loaned £1,000, and Michael rushes off, leaving James to settle up the bill at Roy's Rolls. So Ed is now contemplating gambling on his laptop, but has managed to stop himself. He tells Michael, who's come in, that he can't keep living like this, but Michael says if Aggie finds out the truth, she'll kick him out. So it seems that their money issues before were down to Ed gambling. Correct. And not Michael's schemes after all. Correct. And Michael has just been carrying the can for his dad. Correct. And Ed breaks down into tears. Correct. Oofed. What a what a wicked web we weave. I didn't see that coming at all. Should I have? I'm not sure. Maybe. I thought it was because there was kind of hints that, you know, that Michael is to blame for the family having to leave the nice big house and move to this crummy Coronation Street place. And that they were a family living at a certain comfort level and now they're down below which i think is part of the reason why aggie got so upset when dev offers her the tick you know oh right okay yep that you know and why she the whole pity thing bothers her so much i think it's because of the fall in economy i think is is the main reason for that you know, because they always seem to be slagging off Michael's things. But I don't know. Would would they have been investing so much in Michael's crazy harebrained schemes if they're constantly not working? I never, you never see them once say, 
oh, well, that sounds interesting. Let me loan you some money to get that right. enterprise off the ground. Mm. I don't know. It's weird. It the whole weird. thing's weird. But if they've had this kind of mystery since they were introduced. There was always these question marks about, well, right. what's happened to them to make them move here? And they've had the money to buy the builder's yard, so they've had some money, but right. but something's kind of going south. Correct. So now we know. That's all Ed's fault. Right. And Michael is actually a pillar of decency, right. trying to keep his family together and willing to take one for the team and draw his mother's ire to keep his dad and his mom together. What a rock. Seriously. <laughs> you wouldn't you wouldn't think it from looking at him. Nope. So back home, Ed tells James that he's already paid him back. Uh, down comes Aggie and Ed confesses that he considered gambling and Michael wasn't the reason that they lost the old house. It was all down to him. So Aggie's going through all her old accounts, working out exactly how big Ed has fucked up. It was all down to gambling. He let her believe that her own son had fucked him over and she misses her house. Michael insists that this was his idea to take the blame, it wasn't Ed's, and Aggie reminds them all that Ed is a grown man with free will. That was such a good scene. It was, it was very good. He promises that he didn't gamble today, except he did. This is his gamble. Telling her the truth is the biggest risk he's going to take today. Aggie needs some air and leaves them all to it. Then on Friday, Aggie hasn't been at home and then she comes home. She stayed on Muriel's Z bed. I don't know who that is or what that is. Muriel is somebody that she works with right. at the pharmacy. And she isn't happy about all the lies that she's been getting from her own family. Truth is everything, she says. Honesty is the best policy. Ed knows that he's due any shite Aggie wants to fling at him. He wants to make it up to her. She turns up at Roy's Rolls looking for extra work and Roy, God bless him, offers her a trial run and Aggie jumps at the chance. But it turns out she's about as talented in the kitchen as Carla is. She's overdone the eggs and Roy isn't impressed. She likes them a little bit crunchy. Yeah. She doesn't trust eggs. Aggie loses her shit. Her family's cursed, she says. This was supposed to be a fresh start and she sobs into Roy's apron and apron's like, an apron's like? And Roy's like, (laughs) ooh, I'm not sure what to do with this. Right, but this is this is what Roy does. This is people people trust Roy to break down in front of. Roy is somebody that you can show weakness to and right. he's not going to manipulate it or use it for his own gain. Yeah, absolutely. So and he's the only character on the show who's like that. So she apologizes for moaning about her mar- marriage and offers to leave. But Roy tells her to stay and focus on uh, maybe working the beverages. Then in comes Ed upset to see her working there. He's trying to make this right and he's sorry. He wants to know if there's go- if this is ever going to be alright between them, but she doesn't answer. And later, Aggie is sorry for oversharing with Roy and goes to leave. And Roy sings some of Ed's praises with the business with the electrics. He was a... He worked quickly, he was efficiently, he didn't overcharge, he's right. a good man, he's an honest man. Mm-hmm. Well. Or so Roy thinks. Yeah. But this gives Aggie some food for thought. Back home, Ed really needs an answer to his question. Can they work through this? Aggie's angry at him, but won't be divorcing him. No one else would have him, she says. And she warns him never to lie to her again. Aww. And meanwhile, Michael promises to focus on helping his dad for now. Yes. Which that is was lovely. great. That was yeah, a great little good. story. It was good. It, does it feel like it's done? It kind of feels like it's done. Yeah. Does it feel like it was given enough time to develop... Maybe, Maybe not. not. Maybe not. <laughs> I'm they, so glad we're in agreement. They did a good 
uh, groundwork that we talked about, you know, the, yeah. the kind of questions over... Yeah, something's up, but we don't know it. Right. It would have been good to have seen Ed actually gamble a few times, maybe, and build up to this more than just this one scene where he's staring at the page of a gambling site and then Michael comes in and he's like, I didn't really do it. I was just thinking about it. Yeah, because they've not really been in it much since they were introduced. So there was opportunities there to have a scene or two where maybe Ed does like a flutter. Right, yeah. But then he needs to have a kind of come to Jesus moment where he realises the error of his ways and maybe maybe Aggie leaving is, is that moment. Right. But it does draw some attention again to the fact that Gambling on your credit card is a really stupid thing to do. <laughs> Absolutely, yeah. Because but we learned so many that do it. we learned that when uh, Dev when Dev's son did it, and and Max did it. Remember? Yes, Dev's son who was abandoned in India last week. Right, remember? Yes. Our next storyline tonight. Uh, our next storyline <laughs> this morning is Mad Max. Woohoo! Beyond the Thunderdome. Fury Road. Fury. <laughs> Street. <laughs> Nicely done. <laughs> on Monday, Shona's on the phone to Max. It sounds like he's been a right cheeky brat, and she reminds him that she's the closest thing he has to a mum right now, so he'd better toe the line. That's all that happens on Monday. Mm-hmm. On Wednesday, Max bursts into Roy's rolls demanding a bacon butty from Shona, who's pissed that he's left Lily on her own. Then later, Nick hears smashing from the community garden. It turns out Max is breaking up all the flower pots, and he tries to hook Nick when Nick tries to intervene. Max blames him for David being in prison. Correctly. Yeah, pretty much. Yeah. And threatens him some more before storming off. Nick goes into Roy's roles to tell Shona about Max breaking up. Nick is such a wuss. I know. <laughs> He's almost beaten up by... A 13-year-old child, yes. He tells... And then he goes and grasses on him. <laughs> Fuck you, Nick. Nick goes into Roy's roles to tell Shona about Max. Shona immediately closes up the cafe. Then Max texts Shona saying that he's never coming home again, but he's already home, that confused me, and tells Nick that he can GTF, he's not getting in the house, and Bethany goes inside to speak with him. And that's the end of Wednesday. Uh-huh. On Friday, it's Lily's birthday, mm-hmm. except it isn't. She's just having her birthday party today. The birthday's actually on Monday. Max announces that he's not going to be there for the party. Suck my pipe, he says to Shona. <laughs> You're not my real mum. Nick turns up at Roy's Rolls to pick up Max's, not Max's cake, Lily's cake from Shona. He checks that it's okay to turn up for the party and Shona gives him the all clear. Then later, Lily's party is in full swing and it looks like a riot. Yeah, Adam is wearing a unicorn horn and children are throwing, are, are placing, they're not even throwing them onto his horn. They're, they're just placing them gently. Oops. Around Adam's horn. <laughs> They're just gently placing rings around Adam's horn, yes. Well, you have to be careful with Adam's horn. You never know when it's going to... Yeah. There's a change in... Scottish horns. Change in the breeze could set that thing Scottish off. horns are, are tricky. <laughs> in comes Nick with some lovely presents. We've just made a child's birthday party dirty. <laughs> Max, who said that he wasn't going to be there, wonders why Nick is there and throws his dish of jelly on the floor like a tit and then storms out. Lily's present, inexplicably from Nick, 
It's a plastic cricket bat. <laughs> yeah. So Max grabs it and starts swiping at Nick with it. <laughs> Nick falls backwards and... Terrified. Like, terrified. Terrified of this plastic child's cricket bat. Holding his hand up. No! As if to protect his no! precious face. No! <laughs> Sarah calls Max out of control. And Shona can't take this anymore and tells everyone to leave. Lolly says she hates Max for ruining her party. Shit just got interesting as far as I was concerned. Right. Everyone's gone and Max blames Shona for inviting Nick. Shona just wanted one day of being normal and Leanne thinks that Shona's due an apology. Max apologises for not hitting Nick in the head with that cricket part. <laughs> <laughs> Leanne and... And again, fair. Mm-hmm. Leanne and Sarah are worried about Shona and how she's taking care of Max. Shona just wants him to let it stew. It'll work itself out. She's obviously upset as she frantically tries to clean the house. She's fallen to pieces with David gone. Max has turned into Jack Nicholson from The Shining and she feels useless. You know, before I watched this episode and I had just seen your tweet about this is the look of a man. This is the fear of a 13-year-old with a plastic cricket bat can I still and a grown man. Mm-hmm. I just read plastic cricket like I thought he was he was just holding <laughs> up like a, a pretend bug in front of his face. Right. And that was give, making him a feared. Who knows what that happened if he'd done that. <laughs> Sarah knows how hard it is to be alone, as does Leanne. They both would have helped if they knew what Shona was going through. Shona isn't to blame for Nick or David's actions. Neither are Mark's and Lil. Neither are Max and Lily, says Leanne. Shona admits to needing help and then goes to check Max is still taking his ADHD pills, but they ain't there. Hmm. Max finally comes down for dinner and Shona wants to make sure he's taking his meds. He insists that he's taking new meds now and the only reason he kicked off is because of Nick. But then we see Max throw his pills into the garbage. Well, we see him throw an empty packet of pills into the garbage. Oh, was it? It's a blister pack, and you can see that all of them have been pressed. So he's he's selling his Ritalin on the streets. That's what's happening here. Is he? I think that's where, yeah, he's been going off. He's, he's a 13-year-old drug dealer. He's selling his Ritalin to his mates. Yeah. Ugh. Wow. You express shock that 13-year-olds sell drugs. I, I'm shocked. Really? Mm. My sweet summer child. Well, Benny's 13. He can sell... Well, yes. Trading cards, never mind. <laughs> Betty is Betty is one is one child. <laughs> I mean, Stelly could sell. Oh, she could do it. <laughs> Stelly could sell ice to Eskimos or ice to Inuits. It shocks me that there's drugs available in this town where we live. That apparently, if we wanted heroin, we could get it in five minutes. Apparently, our our. Our twenty-one-year-old seems to think that this is that this is like the most drug-riddled town in in Michigan. Yeah, we're living in the he's, wire. He's wrong, <laughs> and he's ridiculous. But that's because you know this is really the only life he's known. <laughs> like, oh, you can get drugs here. Yeah, sweetheart, you can get drugs anywhere. This is, and I mean, there's all these farms out in the. For Pete's sake, weed is legal in this state now. Oh, so it's I forgot about that. Yeah, if you're over 21. Stay safe, kids. Don't do drugs. Until <laughs> hey, you're grown hey, up. Hey. Yeah, no. <laughs> no. No. And knowing's half the battle, G.I. Joe. Can we, do, can we do that instead of 
Fat Albert. Please. Okay. No, no, no Fat Albert references ever. Ya banned. Our penultimate storyline tonight. Oh, have we talked enough about Mad Max? I, I really liked the scene where Shona breaks down and Leanne and, and Sarah have her back. I like that it seems like Leanne is becoming part of the family now as opposed to being just this person who's only on Nick's side. Right. And is, you know. Yeah, they seem to have got over their differences. Right. From a few weeks ago. It bothers me that people are so shocked that Max is mad about Nick being out of prison and David being in prison. Because if I was a 13-year-old kid and my uncle had gotten my dad thrown into prison for something that was ultimately my uncle's fault, I'd be pretty pissed as well. You're right. It was weird that uh, Lily got a cricket bat. And, and the only thing I can think of is that Nick is not used to buying gifts for little girls. But Leanne... Or anyone. ...should be better at that. But plot. I was trying to find something that Ben Price's fan club said that quite amused me. Yeah, here it is. Gosh, you send your nephew's dad to prison and suddenly you're the worst uncle of the year. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Absolutely. Absolutely. Our next storyline, our penultimate storyline of the night is would, would, In the morning. Oh, right. <laughs> I not, think you do that on purpose I am, now. I swear I'm not doing it on purpose. <laughs> I swear I'm not. Come on, Eileen. Uh, uh, yes, come on, Eileen. On Friday, Sepp has been on the phone to Lena because remember Lena? She's still a thing. She's yeah, safe. I'm, I'm happy that they're still talking on the phone because remember when she drove away and she promised to keep in touch. We didn't think she was going to keep in touch. No chance, we thought. Right. She's safe but has heard nothing from Jan. Seb tells Eileen to put Jan out of her mind but that's easier said than done, she says. So Seb meets Tim in Roy's roles. Eileen hasn't left the house since Jan and Tim confirms that she hasn't done a shift on the switch for ages. Let's sort this out, says Seb. So round at Eileen's, Tim asks how she is. They miss her at work and nobody was, works a switch like her. She should come back and be paid for being in a shite mood. <laughs> Absolutely. Then a guy turns up looking for a taxi because Eileen has agreed to work a few shifts. And in her conversation with Tim, she swears off men and says George Clooney could walk through that door and she wouldn't go out with him. Right, and then George Clooney doesn't walk, walk through the door, but someone who... Is fairly attractive. Fairly attractive. Man of a certain age. And looks like he fancies having a pop on Eileen's fronties. Eileen doesn't buy it and thinks that Tim has set this up. Hmm. Where have we seen a similar storyline before in this show? Oh, I remember. Remember when Audrey was going to hook Maria up with some guy and she thought that the guy in her chair was the guy. And then she finds out that the guy in her chair is married and he, she gets all upset thinking that she's the guy that Audrey was going to set her up with. Please breathe. Yeah. Right, new material, Coronation Street. Yeah, this is a cut and paste job. Replace Maria <laughs> with Eileen. Replace one dude with another dude. Replace Audrey with Tim. Replace uh, Salon with Cab Office. <laughs> right. Print. <laughs> control P. Yeah, it was just silly. And then Control Q. Or Alt and F4, shall we? <laughs> What's your favourite shortcut? <sighs> I love it when I'm control working on a spreadsheet P. and I control shifting down. I love doing that. Control shifting down and control shifting along on the Excel is just it's, it's poetry. Yeah, I'm not a nerd. 
fucking nerd. <laughs> nerd. So she sends him on his way. Did I say that? Yes. Okay, I'll say that again. Yes, and then we complained about the fact that this was a cut-and-paste job from the Maria Audrey thing. Right. Later at the cab office, Island gives Tim a hard time for trying to set her up with that guy, but Tim insists that he has nothing to do with it. And she tells him to put the fucking kettle on. And that's that. Yeah. So this is just getting Eileen back into the swing of things mm. and back on the switch. Do you think Do you think we've truly seen the end of Jan? I hope not. I don't like how this has been left. I think it was uh, Chloe in Nova Scotia who mentioned this in our correspondence to us last week. Mm-hmm. That it would seem Rather, unreasonably cruel to right. not let Eileen know what the real deal was. And I think the fact that they've brought this back up and they've... And they're reminding us that Eileen is sad and that she's sworn off men and that she hasn't heard from Jan and Alina hasn't heard from Jan. Yeah, that's Seems only... to indicate mm-hmm. to me that Jan is coming back. Yeah, I would agree. Our final storyline tonight. <sighs> this morning! 9.47 in the AM. <laughs> it's Emma and Steve. Have you finished your coffee? Just about. Yeah. On Monday. In the salon, Audrey's talking to Emma about tomorrow's funeral. Audrey remarks that after the funeral is worse because you lose something to focus on. Thanks for that, says Emma. And then they talk about how Emma hates it when people blab things that they shouldn't blab to each other. In comes Steve, who has paid for the funeral. And Audrey clutches her collar a wee bit. Yep. He wanted to wish her luck for tomorrow and asks her out to lunch. She worries that it's a date, but he's adamant. No, 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 it's not. It's not a date. It's just lunch. So he's, having... he's only paid for the coffin. He hasn't paid for the whole funeral. So he's having lunch with Emma at the bistro and he pretends that she has something in her hair and he uses this as an excuse to pluck a hair out of her head. Emma rushes off to the toilet while Steve puts the hair in a little plastic bag. That was textbook stuff, Steve. Well done. Mm-hmm. He's done that before. Mm-hmm. Back home, Steve <laughs> explains to Liz that he's got some Emma hair to get tested for DNA. Because he has... Super spooge, as we discussed last week. So Liz. he has to be DNA testing everybody on the street to make sure he's not related to them. <laughs> Roy, have you got something in your hair? <laughs> Liz is fuming. She tells Steve that he's obsessed. Wouldn't it be better to eat Emma? What? Not to eat Emma. Treat got, Emma. Wouldn't it be better to eat Emma, get through the funeral first? Let Emma. Okay, that's supposed right. to be. <laughs> don't eat Emma. Please oh, don't. Geez, no. no, no, no. Not for human consumption. Steve no. promises to be sensitive just as Amy and Tracy come in. Tracy wants to know what he's bought Emma today. A yacht, perhaps, she asks. Then Tracy and Amy are arguing about microblading. <laughs> Steve and Liz uh, are worried that the news... This is the worst sentence I've ever written. Steve is worried that the news... I'll be the judge of that. Steve is worried that the news of Emma would mean that he's going to lose the two of them. And I'm like, hmm. On Wednesday, Emma's chatting to Billy about funerals. She didn't want to tell her brother because her brother would tell her mother. And Billy thinks that funerals are good times to rethink family feuds. Mm-hmm. Wise words, Billy. That's his job. Meanwhile, Mary's rushing off to a wedding venue. She's got her sandwiches. She's got her sat-nav. And she's got her sheepy. And she's got her sheepy. <laughs> I need one of those. <laughs> You've got the smallest bladder in the world. I do. That comes from 
birthing three children and also having a wonky bladder from birth. To begin with, yeah. And yet you insist on drinking in the car. You insist upon buying me bottles of water at gas stations. (laughs) Emma bumps into Steve outside Roy's Rolls. She's shattered. Along comes Liz and gives her a hug. Morgan, her brother, is due to arrive at the tram station as Liz concocts a story about the switch at the cab office being broke so she can pull Steve away. Whispering, Liz gives Steve a hard time for getting involved, but Steve says that he nearly adopted Morgan back in the day and he promises to leave the DNA results until tomorrow if they come in today, which means they're definitely going to arrive today. Absolutely. And also that Steve's definitely going to open them. Yes, he is. So Steve's at the florist buying funeral flowers, and Tracy wonders when he's going to stop bankrolling this funeral. In, <laughs> in comes Emma and Morgan, who are looking for the wreath, and Tracy makes up a story about it being bad luck to see the wreath before the funeral, but actually the wreath is in the van with Mary, who's away on the other side of town. But Mary manages to rush back onto the street in the florist van and she's ready to tell a very lengthy story about a mix-up at the wedding when Steve insists that she focuses. Then Steve gets an email, presumably from the DNA test people, and he's struggling to decide whether or not to open it. Mm-hmm. But he opens it off camera. Right. Outside the church, Morgan shows Emma a video message from Fiona where she tells Emma to give her a call when she gets home from the funeral. She calls Emma's dad a good man, but Emma still isn't buying it. If Fiona cared about Emma, she'd have shown up for the funeral. Emma seems to have unreasonable expectations of how easy and how cheap it is to get. From New Zealand to... Well, Australia. She's in Melbourne. Oh. Why did I think she was in New Zealand? I don't know. Hmm. Which, albeit, is slightly further away. Because hmm. that's like a, a day flight. Yeah. If you can get something at short notice, it's going to be ridiculously expensive. Right. And it's not like they were still together although to be fair you'd think she'd show up for emma right i am just kind of appalled that morgan didn't show up at the funeral home to help emma with with all of this stuff because he's her brother at least half brother older brother right if your older brother doesn't show up to help you with your dad's funeral arrangements and his stepdad yeah Yeah. it all seems the family dynamic there seems very strange yes. to begin with. And also, why does Morgan not recognize Steve? Because he was just a wee boy. Still, Steve almost adopted him. <laughs> anyway, hmm. Emma's dead dad has arrived at the church, but there's no sign of the wreath still. Morgan is trying to comfort Emma, but ends up letting her know that he knew that her dad wasn't her dad, and he's always known. Fiona made him not say anything. How can she sit in the church and listen to the vicar when her life has been one big lie, she says. She doesn't want Morgan there. She wants her dad. And at this, Steve arrives with the dad's wreath on the roof of the car. Yeah. Which is like acting as a label. Right. Here's a dad car coming dad. in. Dad. It was beautifully dad. shot, but it was a little bit on the nose, I felt. Right, yeah. And and it's not it's not covered it's not protected at all. No, it's just taped to the roof of the car. <laughs> it's just strapped and and none of the flowers have fallen off of it. Yet. Right, yeah, this is yeah, this is a this is the problem here. So Emma falls into Steve's arms, crying that uh, her dad wasn't a real dad. Later, on a bench at the church, Emma explains that this feels like what this 
Later, on a bench at the church, Emma explains what this How feels like room. with her family lying to her and not being her family. She feels like she's lost her dad twice. Steve tells her she belongs to someone else and so she has another chance. And he tells her that he's a real dad. What the actual? She well, doesn't she react. Can be a, a, the way he words it makes it sound kind of ambiguous. Like he can be her dad if she needs a dad. He doesn't say, I'm actually your real father. Your mom and I had a relationship. No, he doesn't go into that detail, but I thought it was quite explicit. That- well, no, because later on Emma complains about him being creepy and wanting to be her dad and stuff no, that's true. so Emma doesn't get it she doesn't react well to this and beats Steve up with a dad wreath calling him a horrible selfish man yes this wreath that has survived being strapped to the roof of a car and driven clear across town now falls to pieces being used by a young woman to beat up an older man at home, Emma the actual? skypes Fiona. Emma wastes no time in telling her that she hates Fiona and Morgan. Fiona doesn't know what John was thinking of in telling her. She's sorry and offers to come over to visit so they can talk about this properly face to face. Emma says that she was walking around the graveyard instead of attending the service and she saw all these plots where families were buried together, likening it to a multi-storey graveyard. She wouldn't pick her family if she ended up in one of those and Emma tells Fiona to stay away and then hangs up on her. And she says, I prefer my life here over the salon, my wee flat over the salon with my friends. And Fiona says, you're living above Audrey's? Uh-huh. And Emma doesn't pick up on that. It's <laughs> <laughs> so like, wait, how do you know Audrey? Right. No, no, it's just whoosh, right over the head. Steve's back at the cab office and he tells Liz that he told Emma. Steve's little swimmers strike again, she says. Or he says. Tracy doesn't know... And Liz suggests telling her before she finds out from someone else. So at the florist, Steve tells Tracy to be super calm. <laughs> he hasn't, and he takes scissors out of her hand. <laughs> he hasn't done anything wrong. He tells her in a very... Which he really hasn't. No, he hasn't. He hasn't done anything wrong. And I don't understand why so many people in the storyline are mad at Steve for having a relationship with someone 20 years ago 20 years ago before he was ever with tracy and having a child with that person who never told him that he had a child why is everybody mad at steve i don't get it <laughs> she looks so mad at everybody being mad at steve for this it's it feels unfair she locks the door of the floor just in case she has to kill him <laughs> It's so great. good. It's so good. I love how they lean so heavily into the fact that Tracy's killed someone and will do it again. <laughs> we'll kill again. <laughs> <laughs> so he tells her in a very roundabout manner that he might be Emma's dad, where might is the same as definitely is. Mm-hmm. Tracy attacks him with flowers. So he's been attacked twice with flowers in this episode. And why? Why? Why would Tracy be mad at this? It's not his fault. How many more of his kids need to be in her life, she says. Amy overhears all this and Steve tells her that Emma is her sister. And Amy, Amy, Emma and Amy are just far too close together. Amy doesn't take this well. Right. Why not? Why not? And really, there's Oliver and there's Amy. That's it, because Rory dead. Oh, he'd be dead. I think Michelle mentioned that once or twice, yeah. (laughs) 
Yeah, Michelle keeps reminding us. Rory dead. So that's three kids. Ooh, Tracy, you have to deal with two extra kids and one's an adult that you don't really have to deal with. Oh, poor fucking you. (laughs) Audrey goes round to see Emma and she gives Emma a comforting speech about family not wanting to hurt her. Emma's confused as to why Steve would say he's her dad and Audrey tells her about the DNA test which gets Emma thinking. How could he know? And she works out that Audrey must have blabbed despite saying and promising that she wouldn't. So Emma walks out saying that she can't trust no one anymore. Uh Then Steve meets Emma in the metaphorical community garden. She's trying to piece together the pots that Max smashed in that earlier storyline. Emma tells him he made a terrible situation even worse. She wishes Fiona had never met him and Steve leaves, then Tracy gets him and tells him he's not welcome back at the flat tonight. <laughs> Which, she how can, how she, can Amy, she kick him out of his flat for having a relationship 20 years ago? She and Amy have voted on it. Well, and Liz. <laughs> and and Liz. Liz voted he could stay. But Amy, how does Amy get a vote on whether or not her dad is allowed to come home? That's this uh, this whole thing. Poor Steve. Poor Steve. I on feel Friday. for Steve so much in all of this. Steve has slept on Tim's couch. Steve thinks his marriage is on its knees, and Tim thinks Steve's spunk has superpowers. Which we already said, Tim. Get 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 with the program. Emma comes into the salon to see Audrey. She's not stopping and doesn't care for Audrey being all nicey nicey. She quits and she's leaving the street, and it's all Audrey's fault. <laughs> Which yeah, yeah it okay. Is. At the flat, Maria tries to talk Emma out of it. And then Audrey arrives, telling her not to make a decision while she's grieving. Steve is a good man, but Emma has made up her mind. Audrey wonders if Steve will be able to make her see sense. Steve? Make her see sense? Big ask. Yeah. Back home, Steve needs more undies. Tim's are too big for him. He refuses to move (laughs) until they sort this out. Audrey gets buzzed up and explains to Steve that Emma's leaving the street. Well, what can Steve do? Audrey tells her to be her dad. Emma's, not Audrey's. What part do you think is too big? The front or the back? Or the back. <laughs> You're confident about it. Surprising Tim's how little got a thought, bigger ass than Steve. Surprising how little thought I needed to give that. <laughs> Steve asks Amy what to do, and she tells him Emma is his daughter too. He has to do the right thing. Talk to her. Make her stay. So yeah, all of a sudden there's this huge one any where before we were mad about Emma being eh, slept in it. You know what it's like. Yeah. Now now we want you to keep her here, even though we kicked you out of your own home for having a relationship twenty years ago that had nothing to do with us. Well, Amy's decided that she quite likes the idea of having somebody somebody like Emma as a her sister. sister. Yeah, like a big sister. That, yeah, I can see the appeal. Mm-hmm. Maria's nice. Maria's doing her best to keep Emma in the flat while Steve turns up. Uh, and Emma isn't happy about this. She gives him her tablet and stuff that makes up the value of her dad's coffin. He begs her to stay to get to know each other, but she isn't sure she wants to know him. He's just Steve from the cabbies. Right. So she's about to jump in the big black cab that takes people away t- to other places. She can't stay here. She's off to Liverpool, it turns out. Gemma screams at Tracy to tell Steve to man up and make Emma stay. She's losing her best friend here, but Emma's mind is made up. She gets in the cab and it pulls away and Amy watches it go and looks like she might have an idea. Yeah, and Gemma has um, some cola stuck in her boobs. <laughs> Does she? Yeah, the cola? Must... Like a stain? Or... <laughs> no, like a bottle of 
a black liquid, which I'm assuming is cola. Bet- betwixt her boobs? Betwixt her boobs. Stuck hmm. in her shirt. In between her boobs. Be awfully warm, wouldn't it? <laughs> well, apparently she drinks a lot of it. This must be what... Oh, that's a dandelion and burdock. Yes. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Steve's home and Tracy wants to know what's happening with Emma. Amy wants to know her sister. Fucking do something, she pleads. Steve thinks he should go after her, but Tracy and Amy... I don't and want to deal with another one of your kids. Steve Please is the last person to make this right. Amy begs Tracy for her help. So Emma is at a train station waiting for a train to Liverpool. Meanwhile, Amy and Tracy are at the rover speaking to Chesney, Gemma and Maria, who refuse to tell them where Emma is going. Amy begs them she needs to know her sister. She might never get another chance. So all of them have crammed into Chesney's car because Chesney's got a car, remember, and set off to the station, ignoring the fact that Gemma's needs a wee. They arrive at the station and find Emma in amongst a Welsh stag do for some reason. Amy begs her not to leave. Is the it a stag do or were they, like, footy or Rugby fans people. or something, yeah, maybe. Because yeah. they have the shirts that have whales on them. And they have That's the little... That's whales, not whales. That's what I said, whales. You said whales there again. I said whales. You said whales there. No, I didn't say whales. No. I said um, whales. Yeah, you said whales. Anyway. <laughs> so Amy begs Emma not to leave. They've only just found each other. And Tracy suggests that they go home for a brew so she and Amy can talk. Liz and Steve are brooding in the pub about Emma. Steve worries that Emma is better off without him, but Liz, in a roundabout fashion, tries to put his mind at ease. Steve worries that Emma has no one but him and he wants to look after her. That's nice. Mm-hmm. At the station, Emma, Tracy and Amy try to square everything <laughs> off, but it's not enough for Emma. She has to leave. Amy pleads that she wanted a sister her whole life and Tracy doesn't think the two of them should miss out. Gemma begs Emma to stay. And Tracy says hilarious things indicating that, you know, she said mean things about Emma. And Emma's like, I don't remember you you ever saying anything mean about me. That's because I didn't. (laughs) And then Tracy's like, well, you know, like the fact that nobody's ever that nice. And Amy's like, shush, shut up. We're trying to get her to stay. Amy wants someone to share stuff with. And Emma wants that too. And so she agrees to go back to the street. Yay! Back in the street, Emma arrives as Steve is leaving the pub. He's chuffed to see her, but she still doesn't want anything to do with him. Right, why? She's only here to get to know her sister. Liz pats Steve on the back as they watch Emma walk away down Coronation Street. And that's arm in arm how we Amy. finish and this Amy week's says episodes. something rude to her father as well. Why is everybody mad at Steve just for being good at procreating? It's not his fault. It takes two to tango. And... It's not his fault. Why is everybody so mad at Steve? (laughs) Poor Steve. I feel for him so much in all of this because he didn't ask for any of this either. This was a beautifully balanced storyline this week, I felt. Yeah. It was sad and it was... Funny. Exceptionally funny. And then it was happy, kind of. It had its little... Right. Its little moments. The the dad label on the top of Steve's car was a bit... (sighs) And much. then, but then, and again, then Emma there, hitting him with the dad wreath was a bit much. But then there was a lovely shot of Emma walking by Roy's Rolls as Steve was coming out. Yeah. Oh. You love that shot. I love that shot. Yeah, you do. So, you love good camera angles. Yeah. I appreciate a good camera angle. <laughs> so that was Nerd. a... <laughs> I'm glad that Obviously, Emma staying. She was never going to go. There was no, never any no. danger of her going. But I like the fact that 
Amy seems to uh, want to have this relationship. Right. I think it's going to be good for Amy's character to have... A big sister. A big sister, and, and particularly a big sister like... Emma. Emma in there. Right, because it, it'll, it'll balance off some of the... Tracy nastiness right. that's been creeping up in Amy right, lately. Because Tracy is really the antithesis of Emma. Absolutely. So the two of them together are... I'm looking forward to seeing where this is going to go. Yeah, because these too. characters haven't really had any reason to be together. Apart from a couple of weeks ago when Tracy wanted Emma to lose her job for some reason. Remember that? Yeah. So having the two of them sharing storylines, I think, has potential for... Lots for some some really good, good scenes, stuff. yeah. And I hope everybody eventually forgives Steve for being good at making babies. Yeah, they'll, they'll come round. Yeah, because poor Steve. So, your moment of the week. We're in a house where people have ill regard for the fact that a podcast <laughs> is getting recorded here. Or have no idea that a podcast is getting recorded. Or don't know what a podcast is. <laughs> We've got to be from be the only two people in the house to now be two of five, five people. Yeah. No. Six people. Six people. So it's just Yeah, we have so many people in the house that we don't know how many people we have in our house. <laughs> it's like mother exclamation point. Oh, only not at all like mother exclamation point. Um gosh. I thought the Ed and Aggie stuff was pretty good. Yeah, but, but I what... really loved the Mad Max. And next stuff. <laughs> what did we pick last week? We picked a sad we thing Emma last, week. last week. So maybe something a little bit more like Hearty does. Mm. In which case, Nick getting beaten up with a plastic cricket bat was pretty funny. Yeah, it's not really moment of the week, though. I kind of feel like either Aggie breaking down in Roy's arms or or um, Ed making his conf- his grand confession to Aggie. I'd, I'd be more inclined to go for the latter there. Yeah, let's let's do that. I think the Baileys deserve a moment of the week this week. I think so. Yeah. So that's our moment, moment of, of the week. week. Moment of the week. The also boring moment of the week. Hmm. Is it Bethany telling Daniel she wants to be a tour guide, or is it Tracy and Amy fighting over? Arguing over... Microblading. Microblading. That's what I've got. What even is microblading? It's when you get... The, is it like the kind of thread and stuff that happens with your oh, eyebrows? Oh, is it eyebrow threading? Yeah. They call it microblading there. Apparently. See, when I think microblading, I think, you know... Inline skating. skating yes. Really, really teeny tiny skates. <laughs> or really, really thin blades on your skates. That's what I thought. I was like, what, what on earth is that going to do with his eyebrows? But apparently it's the eyebrow plucking thing because Liz, who apparently this ain't her first rodeo when it comes to plucking, absolutely over plucking her eyebrows. Yeah, warns her against it. But mm. yeah, the two of them talked about that was dull as dishwater. Yeah, but Daniel and Bethany were pretty dull talking about being a tour guide and what sort of qualifications she has. That was really boring. Well, I don't care because I don't pull a screen grab for that, so you can pick anything you like. You like anything with Daniel in it is boring. So yeah, usually. Yeah, so Bethany and Daniel talking about being a tour guide. That's our boring moment of the week. Boring moment of the week. 12 minutes after 10, if you can believe it. Woot woot! If you want to get in contact with us, oh, our mailbag. <laughs> we didn't do our mailbag. Yeah. Quickly then. 
Our mailbag. Here's people who have got in touch with us through our email address, which is uh, the talk of the street at gmail.com, which is also our Skype address if you want to leave a voicemail, and our PayPal if you want to leave some virtual dollars in our virtual tip jar. Yes, we're almost at the point where we don't need an AC anymore. Right. <laughs> so, Chloe from Nova Scotia was back in touch. Woohoo! Alexandra Mardell's performance in Corey last week was one of the best I've seen in all my years of watching the show. Absolutely. She didn't even have to open her mouth, just Correct. her expression was enough to make me reach for the tissues. Yup. Like Gav, I seem to have been hit in the face by an onion. Aww. <laughs> and then I was back. That would hurt. Yeah. And then I was corresponding back and forth with Chris, but little, if any of it, had anything to do with Coronation Street. Did you tell him about us going to the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame? We didn't even talk about our trip. We didn't mention that. Yeah, we, we didn't mention it at all. That's weird for us. It was good. We had no tangent this week. Oh, we've had plenty of tangents. Have we? Oh, yes. <laughs> I have a, I have a choice. <laughs> Let's just put it that way. I mean, we didn't even mention any old TV shows. Or maybe we did. Well, oh, no. You mentioned Samuel L. Jackson advertising something. <laughs> so. <laughs> Hot spacho. <laughs> so anyway. Oh, look, just... We'll be back. <laughs> it's so early. We're so tired. Thanks for making it to the end of another episode. We'll be back next week with more Talk on the Street. Bye-bye. This episode was brought to you by Donahue Solicitors, an award-winning firm of expert compensation claims lawyers. Donahue Solicitors represents claimants throughout England and Wales in their civil actions against the police, data breach, personal injury, and professional negligence claims. To start your compensation claim, go to www.donahue-solicitors.co.uk or call 08000-124-246 today.